Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor with Adweek. And with me, as always, is Shannon Miller, our creative and inclusion editor. Shannon, uh, this is it's going to be a good one. I'm literally giddy. I think I'm going to use that word authentically. I'm giddy. We are both giddy uh, in the good way uh, because uh, we've got Amy Lederman, our colleague, agency's reporter here at Adweek, who has written one of the most important stories of this or any year. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. But first off, uh, welcome, Emmy. I am so happy to be here, especially today. Back by popular demand. And that demand came from Emmy herself saying, when am I going to be back <laughs> on the podcast? And th- Very accurate. thousands of emails we've gotten since you were last on here. Emmy has uh, written a piece about brand cringe. Uh, when are brands too cringy and social? Where is the line? How do you stay on the good side of the line? And what happens when you don't? Uh, and what kind of backlash are we getting? Emmy, tell us the backstory of this, uh, because I, I feel like we all, I don't think anyone listening is going to be like, what? Brands have occasionally gotten cringy in social media, but like, what was it that made you want to pursue this story? Yeah. So I've been thinking about writing this story for a while, mainly because I noticed an influx of brands commenting on TikToks on my For You page. Um, Mostly when I go to the comments, they're usually like a top few comments from brands. And just because they're brands, they get a lot of likes, but they're usually pretty cringeworthy content. Um, and just, I also an influx of people both on Twitter and TikTok, bringing back the silence brand meme. And it just came at a good time because last week, not to get into the nitty gritty of West Elm Caleb, but if you heard about that whole fiasco brands, these girls on TikTok trying to top, top level girls on TikTok, trying to cancel some random dude, Caleb who works at West Elm, all of a sudden brands are trying to be funny and address it. And it's just literally makes me want to delete all of my social media. So that's why that was the inspiration behind the story. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this in some ways is an extension of something that we've been talking about since the earliest days of social about when do brands like just take it too far um, but for a long time, the conversation was around sensitivity. And and th- there's some sensitivity issues with the West, West Elm Caleb thing because a lot of people were like, you know, this is basically part of this trend of hauling people out. Of course, Couch Guy being the other big one, like where you haul people out in public over something that comes up on TikTok. And then brands, the brands that decide to jump into those moments, it's typically not great content <laughs> that comes out of it uh, versus like brands that, uh, you know, have fun and get 
get bananas on their on their tweets and their and their content like that's fine so like let's start there where do you personally and going into the story which i should uh be clear that you co-authored with Catherine perloff our colleague here uh what um how do you define it what when is where is the line of what becomes cringe yeah i think when there's a clear tie to the brand and the content has is bringing up the brand or starting a conversation that revolves around something that the brand is privy to. I think that it usually isn't cringe. A great example is people getting um, QR codes of Spotify songs as tattoos on TikTok and posting them on TikTok and Spotify, like if they want to comment on that, and try to make a joke about it. Like, I don't really find that cringe because we're all talking about Spotify already. But if it's a viral trend and a brand like uses the word ghost, like talks about ghosting or Daily Harvest is like, our farmers have zero toxic behavior. Like, it's kind of like, you know it when you see it. Like, it's just, it's one of those things that makes your stomach churn and I'm so sorry. Now I see Shannon's face and I'm so sorry that I had to bring that up because she's not okay. Um, but yeah, you kind of know it when you see it. It's it's just makes you uncomfortable and makes you wish that you didn't look at social media for that day. Uh, Shannon, how how would you define it? Or like, what, what are the moments? Because I feel like you and, and, and all of us celebrate certain moments where brands really go for it. Like where someone tries something and you're just like, you know... I, I don't know if it was good, but I love you for trying. And then, but these are the cases where it's like a mixture of trying and being lazy at the same time. I, I don't know. It's like yeah. it's some, some weird combination of both. I mean, understandably, it's a very hard line to toe because, I mean, strategy is very numeric, numerically based. So if you, logic says, like, if you see a topic that is trending, if you see a topic that is that people are, you know, fervently engaging in, that it just makes the most sense to try your hand at it. Um, But I think, like, the line has to be drawn at, like, where the source of the conversation is. So if you have a thing that's going viral on TikTok, the thing that you have to remember is that behind this, like, memeified conversation, these are actually just regular people that were just caught in a weird moment. And it's one thing for other people, other regular ass people to talk about this weird thing, but it's a totally different thing when a brand sort of like takes a moment to punch down a little bit. And so that's where like the West Elm thing gets a little weird. Um, And where like other instances of that kind of like make things really, really muddy for me. Um, yeah. And like, there's a rare moment where someone hops on a train. You're like, okay, that was good. But you just have to kind of like think of the context. Yeah. I feel like the best ones are the ones that it's okay. I, I think a lot of us like when brands are kind of broken, like we're all broken right now. Like, like I like when they're a little just like unhinged in that way that 20, you know, 2020 through 2022 is a very unhinged time. I think it's mm-hmm. it's when they combine that with, uh, like punching down, uh, you know, with feeling like they're just kind of being mean, uh, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. It's it it is a hard line, but it's one of those things where you know it where you see it. So, Emmy, what did you talk to several people who 
you know, who are involved in this space for a living. What was their take on, on like how to find that line? I talked to Jorian Evans, who works at Deutsch, and she works on the Taco Bell strategy, the social media strategy for Taco Bell. And she talked about how a lot of times brands, if they're not directly marketing a product, they're usually trying to be funny. And there really isn't a reason that there has to be such a strict dichotomy there or just, you know, there isn't a reason why brands haven't necessarily explored doing other things besides trying their hat at humor on social media. I mean, you see on TikTok, there are so many other ways that you can go viral besides just humor. Like a lot of people try out their niche interests and they there's like in, informational TikToks and things like that. So I think that um, a way to avoid the cringiness is to focus a little bit less on trying to be funny all the time and more on just developing a strategy that maybe has a little bit of humor, but also tries out different things as well. Yeah. And I, and I think it just never hurts to like err on the side of not to say like positivity. I, I would never demand positivity of anyone in, in this era. But like, I don't know, like, it's okay to just post stuff supporting the stuff you like and not necessarily like lobbing missiles at uh, random, random people on the internet and declaring war on them. Like going back to one of the more infamous recent cases, which we've discussed a bit was the Pabst eating ass tweet, right? Uh, so I loved the tweet uh, as someone who's been paying attention to Pabst for, you know, over a year of this strategy of being an intentionally edgy and to me, it did not feel really out of the realm of what they had been posting. But when they said, if, you know, if you're not drinking alcohol in January and try eating ass. And I was like, wow, they really, you know, they're testing the edges of this, but it's, it's in, it's in line, like with what Pabst has been doing. What I didn't like about it uh, was that they came after the people who criticized them, like, like that the account started responding to people and being like, ask your mom, you know, and stuff like that, where I'm like, hmm. No, you lost me on that, on those, on those replies. Cause I'm like, yeah. have fun with it. Like a joke about eating ass is, is a victimless crime, except for you as the brand maybe, but like, you're not, you're not making fun of it. I guess some people thought they were making fun of dry January, but I mean, I don't know. And, but then, yeah, it's just like, you got to find that line of like, get wild with it, but don't like, you don't have to randomly uh, <laughs> start targeting randos on the, just cause they target you. You're a brand. You're going to get targeted. That that's just going to happen. Right. But, um, I, I, can I call out a specific subset of marketing that annoys me and I don't even know why. And I feel like I'm going to alienate people who are involved in the subset of the industry. Sports teams, well, please do. sports teams, <laughs> yeah. sports team, social accounts. I don't even know why they bug me so much. It's not rivalry. It's not like I don't like their team. It's just, if it's. Oh, I can tell you. Please. Yeah. What is it? I think because at a base level, they start with a lot of bad will just in terms of sports, like with the general just uneasiness of how the NFL handles just about anything. I don't want to hear from any team until they clean that up. So everything is going to be cringe to me. I mean, that's, that's just for me. Um, there's just, you got, you got a lot of things you got to atone for first before you start cracking jokes and, you know, doing the Dougie on the, t the TL. I'm just, that's just my input. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that a lot of times the cringe, most cringeworthy content comes from brands that kind of have a bad image in the public eye. And you know that on the level of the social media manager, they're trying to like distract you from all the shit that's going on. And I definitely think that that's the case with the NFL and kind of tangentially related. I think the reason that's part of the reason why like NARS and the M&M thing was so cringy because like, Mars has come under Mars has come under fire and like the whole thing with them changing the boots to be like socially conscious like it's just something about these big corporations trying to be like your friend and all liberal and it just comes off as really tone deaf and just kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I think brands probably get picked on more than they necessarily deserve. But then they do stuff like that where you launch an entire press release around the around like we changed the shoes on uh, on an M&M and you know it was just so minor it was so minor and the, like in terms of the aesthetic changes and it hey i guess if they wanted attention they got it you know you get Tucker Carlson on his show talking about how he wants to have sex with M&Ms and like i i guess i guess if that was the mission um the the sports team thing i think part of it is just that like 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 probably like you Emmy I just like to go into the comments on popular TikToks I just like to see what who's at the top what's at the top cuz if it's if it's got a million plus it's going to have some some comment at the top that's got 38,000 likes or whatever and it's so often it's like a minor league baseball team <laughs> and I'm just like well good on you I guess but like I don't understand why you're here I, I don't understand what's going on. A good example of that, and, you know, not to bring up the, like, lightly canceled here, but the Kyle Sheely debacle. If you look at that first tweet, it is just a bunch of brands being unhelpful. Like, it's, like, let's pretend for a moment, let's go back into a time where we thought that that was, like, a genuine, like, organic thing that happened even though we know it is yeah so so this was what it was kyle shealy pretending he had pretended pretending he had made a, a branded meal with uh come and go is that what yeah so this was the okay. one where like he had pretended to i mean he he really made the cutout he really had um like friends that like made this giant like i don't know how many feet foot cutout of himself but he pretended that it was like a randomly placed thing that the brand was not aware of when they in fact were. So from there, a bunch of brands like copped into the comments to talk about how awesome it was. And then the next tweet or not tweet, the next TikTok was him vying for a partnership, even though again, there was already a partnership. Um, and in that one, it was just like a bunch of like brands that had like no business commenting. Like for example, like if you're like FedEx, like what what could you possibly contribute to this moment um, other than to just be seen? Um, so yeah, I, I get that the overall strategy of like a social media team is to be seen, but you also have to consider context. Like, should you be here? Like another thing was like versus, like the early days of versus, which is very like culturally driven there were brands in there that made sense, like having BET in there, having like a lot of black owned companies in there because this was a like very historically black event that was happening. 
Um, and then like the one that that stuck in there because they were genuinely drunk, I feel was like Netflix. And we're like, okay, you're funny, you can stay. But like other brands that like had no interest in this thing before until it really blew up were like commenting all of these weird things and like basically in like memeified language, like tell us you're a Patti LaBelle fan without telling us you're a Patti LaBelle fan. And it's like, well, no, sir, get out, get out. This is a very specific thing that we're, that we're having here. But yeah, like the comment section, I think just to like back that up here for me is like a huge source of like, for me. No, I hate it. I hate it. Cause all. it's the lowest, it's the lowest uh, entry, lowest bar for entry or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cause you don't have to make content. You can just go into the comments and just leave a comment. And so it doesn't really require any sort of like content strategy or real effort. You can just, it's, it's a low effort thing. Yeah. And to be clear, like we, I think we all have like a very, at least a more intimate understanding than most of like how social media teams work and like the pressure there is to sort of like create these moments out of thin air. So it's not like a huge criticism of like individual social media managers who are just kind of like trying to make things work. But the strategy, um, I think some of them just aren't really thought out, especially if you are a brand that is hopping on a cultural moment that you're not naturally a part of. That's where it gets a little weird. Um, but if you are just like a random person, that's like, I'm a tweet about eating ass. That's I'm for it. Cause that's the kind of chaos I love, but you just got to really think about like the, the other side of that, like random comment or that random tweet. Yeah. To offer ex- an example that I don't know if you guys are going to agree with or not. Um, the whole Emily Zuge thing where she redesigned all those logos, the first video that she made was genuinely funny. And so many brands commented on it, wanting their own logo. And she made it into this whole series. And I was like, good for her. This is amazing. She's getting her money's worth. Like they're actually compensating her for this stuff. At the end of the day, they did. But there got to, there was also a point where I hate to say it, but once it became like sponsored posts and once Microsoft changed their logo to have her face on it and then Panera came out with those ugly cups like it just kind of went stale like I feel like brands need to understand that internet humor has a very short shelf life and oftentimes when it becomes more about you and less about the creator like there's a difference between participating in a moment to uplift the creator and uplift the content and doing something because it benefits your brand. And I think a lot of people understand that in the end, maybe not directly, but at the end of the day, supporting creators uplifts your brand, but in a different way than just, you know, marketing for yourself. Yeah. I, I, if I could use um, three words that I loathe, that I, I've come to loathe because of the exact reason you give when it started, you know, memes will get started and you're like, yeah, that's, I guess that's kind of funny. And then within 72 hours, you're done with it. If if you are socially like native or whatever you want to call it, just if you're, if you're actively there. And, um, and then like two weeks later, you see the brands who had to get legal approval, <laughs> like and they're, they're getting that meme out there now. And the three words that to me will always epitomize this is wrong answers only. Oh God. Yeah. No, it was, 
to me, no offense to anyone who shared it, whatever, who had their own version, I never found it funny because the responses aren't funny. Like, it's one thing if you can say, hey, type this into autocorrect or, you know, type this into your phone and have autocorrect complete sense or whatever. Then at least the responses are going to be kind of funny. That's one where no response was ever funny, but it was an easy tweet to do. It's easy to say, like, uh, who should be on the cover of Adweek? Wrong answers only. And it's just... and still, yeah. I still see it. Still brands putting it out. I'm like, one good. For me, the cringy thing that brands are doing right now is like taking that gorgeous, gorgeous girls thing. And it's like, gorgeous, gorgeous girls use SPF every day. And it's like, come on, just that started out when we were talking about soup. And now it's turned into this whole big thing. And yeah, you, you can definitely tell when they needed legal approval and when it's a little, it's kind of like just a few weeks behind when it could have been effective. Yeah. Like that, that legal approval is going to like trip you up every time. That's why I was like, so impressed with um, like with uh, EOS because they were able to act and act on something pretty quickly and get reactive. And like, I talked to um, Soyoung, Soyoung Kang about the, the strategy about that and how like quickly they had Wait, to which, like, get which legal. which activation are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about top tier reactive campaign. <laughs> I was about to say no, I was going to say something completely wrong. <gasps> Bless your effing cooch. It's, um, it's been like it's been like two episodes since you mentioned it. I I feel like you I have shown know. such admirable restraint in 2022. Look at me. <laughs> What is that called? Growth. So <laughs> they're like talking to Kang about just how quickly they had to sort of align with legal to get that out. Um is was interesting and provided a lot of insight. But like to talk about like how quickly something can get stale. I have not seen a day go by where like my TL hasn't made like a new Encanto observation that is like definitely like the new Frozen. Um, but like, there's still a bit of a time clock on it. So when Amazon Prime came out just a couple of days ago to advertise um, the film, I guess there's another Bruno film. I don't know who was around for the first Bruno film, but apparently there is a sequel and it's coming out on um, Amazon Prime. And they said, we don't talk about dot, dot, dot Bruno and it like showed like the Bruno movie poster. It's like, even though that's still like, a, it, it hasn't fully cooled down, you're still just a smidge too late. Like if you were just two weeks earlier, then that would have been a little bit more well-received. Um, but like, yeah, things cool down so, so quickly. So it's just better to just veer, veer and do something different well, that, so entirely. Let me throw out something that, I don't know, I don't know if you two will agree with this and you're welcome not to, but it's the reason that, and I never thought I would say this a few years ago, that McDonald's has become one of my favorite social accounts. Um, and it's because even when, even when they miss, they're trying something. Like they're trying something mm-hmm. different. Uh, you know, a lot of that comes through both the folks at, um, at McDonald's and at Wyden and Kennedy, New York. Um, and... Like I said, like sometimes I'll see something and be like, eh, didn't quite hit for me or for them. Um, but then they sometimes they crush it and they're getting the right tone for this time time period. They're they're weird and kind of broken. But on the other hand, they're not just taking memes and, and dropping Big Mac into we don't talk about Big Mac 
um, what what should be the new Big Mac topping, wrong answers only. Like, that's to me where I draw the line. It's like, I would rather see you make a bad attempt. I would rather see the eating ass tweet than to see somebody just just digging in on some pop culture moment that's like already feeling dated. I think that's just the support of dad and meat grinder. Like, I think that you just want to see the good in all these brands and you're like, thank you so much for trying. But the public is kind of like one strike you're out. Like, it seems like you have a little more patience with these brands than the general public. Well, like McDonald's, like, again, it's one where they'll, when they hit, they hit. And it's because they usually think of something that's, um, that's a little self-effacing. I think a brand has to be making fun of themselves and not others. Cause otherwise if you're McDonald's and you try to talk shit about somebody else, like the replies are all going to be about why are your machines all broken? Right. That's what's going to happen. If McDonald's ever tries to get cocky, then every response is going to be, you know, who knows, you're going to get into wage stuff. You're going to get into uh, health stuff. But if you can position the conversation to just be about some lunacy, right? Like about something where, uh, like my all time favorite McDonald's tweet is the one that's like, um, <laughs> I forget how they framed it, but it was like, one day you order your last, um, your last happy meal. And like, you, you don't know at the time that it's your last happy meal. To this day, I have like some, I just like collapse into a weird like ball when I think about that too much. Cause it's like, it's like thinking about, and this is a weird memory for me. I remember as a kid, the day that I stopped playing with toys, like I went to go play with my toys and I didn't want to. I didn't know what to, I was just like, why am I doing this? Why am I here? Like, this doesn't entertain me. And then, like, every kid does that on some level, consciously or not. And so that stupid, it's a damn McDonald's tweet, like, after that thing of, like, your childhood ends and it doesn't end, like, it, you don't see it ending. It, it only ends in retrospect. That's the kind of crap. And people were into that tweet. People were like, Jesus Christ, McDonald's, like... You have had me in a full-on, like, spiral for the last hour. <laughs> it's so funny to me that you had such a fragmented experience with, like, toys. Another minute, oh, my God, I'm such a fucking loser. Let me put these toys down. Like, there was just no, like, gradual, let me stop playing with toys. It was just, like, one and done. Well, no, and I don't think every kid has that moment. Um, I think it's just, like, I remember that moment because I was like, huh, I don't want to do this. And then, like, my kids are already at that age. They just stopped. It, it, there was no one moment. They just, like, they just slowly stopped. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just think when a, when a weird tweet hits, it hits in this way that makes you stop and be like, ah, oh, damn. Yeah, mm. yeah, I don't know. There's something to that, whether it's because it's silly or it's just insightful. But it's insightful in a way that doesn't try to give a TED Talk. But see, that's why like it works so well, right? Is because it didn't try to be everything to everybody. So something like that is going to appeal appeal to like young existential existential dread David Griner. And whereas Shannon Miller's gonna be like, oh God, like please someone check on them. And it, I mean it still works for me because it's funny, but like if you lose a group of people, like that's okay. And I, I think it's better to show some stronger sense of personality than it is to just hop on this sort of like omnipresent meme and then hope it takes off like the rest. Um, so yeah, it's just a far better strategy. Just like we were talking about um, before we started recording with Sunny D, which like 
I mean, please forgive me if I'm really touching on like a genuine crisis that this person was having. I don't mean to make light of it, but when a branch is like, I'm sad today. I can't take this anymore. I'm like, relatable, relatable content. I am sad too, Dunkin' Donuts. Like, that's a little bit more of a, it's weird because it's like, it's such a simple thing, but it's just meatier than like, tell us in one sentence without telling us in one sentence why Cheetos make you happy. Like, it's just. <laughs> I love that Emmy just leaned out of frame to puke. Cringe brand tweet. Like you need some, you need to license that shit. Yeah, sorry, I had to. Uh, so yeah, I, I was. I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to bring up mental health because I think it's something where there was a really interesting moment where brands, including a brand I used to work on, this was kind of wild, um, started talking about mental health, and that's something that trust me. In the early days of social, no one would have gotten near, right? Like nowhere near. And now, uh, Little Debbie, an account that I created, like I'm weird origin story, but Dave Griner created the Little Debbie Twitter account and Little Debbie Instagram. And they were very much like post pictures of Little Debbie's. You know, it's like they were great as a client, but the, the goal was like, talk about Little Debbie, tell people like, what's your favorite Little Debbie snack? That's it. That's the content. And it worked, by the way, a million followers in one week on Facebook. Like it was, it was a hit. <laughs> but then uh, they started tweeting just these kind of like, it's okay to not be okay stuff. And for a while there, I was like, oh, this is kind of sweet. Like seeing brands like lean into that. Um, now I don't, I don't like it. Like it tipped over to something where now when I see brands talking about mental health, even if I identify with it, it makes me, it, I mean, it's cringy at best. makes me angry. <laughs> Worst because I'm like, stop turning this into content. Usually, I hate when they say uplifting things about their, your mental health, but if they also seem to be like the Sunny D tweet was like, I just can't do this anymore. Like when they also seem to be having an existential crisis, then, you know, sometimes it can relate. But do you mean like the content that's like, you've survived 100% of your bad days and like bullshit like that? Yeah, it's just that it could literally be. Something where two years ago I would have been like, oh, that's nice. And then now I see it and I don't I don't like it because it feels bandwagony at this point. It's no longer brave to like to be out there talking about. But like when a brand's like, it's OK to not feel OK. And I think in like two years, it's going to no longer be brave to talk about eating ass. It's like the brand is going to do it and we're going to be like, all right, well, like that's, that's the next wave. I've had that that conversation with the guy who wrote that tweet. He's just like, three years from now, everyone's going to be tweeting this stuff, and everyone's going to be like, can't believe someone lost his job over that. <laughs> <laughs> ahead of the times, that one. Real ahead of the curve. Um, Again, shout out to him. I didn't find well, th him. Well, this has been a great conversation. It's tough because I thought your article, I'd strongly encourage everyone to go check out the article, which has a phenomenal headline, which is Silence Brand. How to Avoid Corporate Cringe on Social Media. It is service journalism at its best, courtesy of Emmy and Catherine here at Adweek. Uh, Emmy, thanks so much for coming on to talk about it, and I hope everyone goes and reads it. And uh, dare you say your, your Twitter account in case anybody wants to share their favorite cringe moments with you? Oh, yes. At Emmy Lederman, please let me know what your favorite cringe moments are, and maybe there'll be a part two, but probably yes. not. That is Lederman, L-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N. Um, yeah, find her, find, find, find all of us. Just tag Adwick if you can't. 
that we'll get it to the right person <laughs> if you find your favorite moments. Uh, but uh, strongly encourage everyone to check out that article. Shannon, thanks so much for joining us. It's been super fun. I've been looking forward to it. Of course. All right. Well, if you want to email us your thoughts on Corporate Cringe or anything else, you can find us at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. Our theme music is by home. This week's episode was produced by Al Manorino and edited by Lane McGibbony. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally and they help new listeners discover the show. For Adweek, I'm David Reiner, and we will be back next week.